Drinking with the Jackets fans. We are back live. This is your host. Oh, man. If y'all can hear that, that's actually beer spilling on me. Uh, but that is uh, the start of our podcast as we usually have it, which is us cracking a cold beer. Um, I'm here with Chase Randolph. Chase, what's going on? What's up, JP? How you doing? Doing good. Um, and then a special guest, Kelly Quinlan. Hey, Kelly, how you doing? What's going on, guys? Nothing much. Well, Kelly, we usually start the uh, podcast as beer spilling all over my leg, talking about what beer <laughs> or what drink we're drinking. Uh, I've got a special shout out to uh, Tech fan and uh, uh, Georgia Tech football enthusiast Ryan Mathis brewed this beer. If you couldn't tell, as it spills down my leg, it's home brewed. Um, so give him a shout out. He's moved off to uh, Seattle. It definitely was carbonated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and drinking. <laughs> just drinking a nice Modelo. Mm. Kelly, do you have anything? Yeah, I have a Kraken spiced rum and uh, decaf Coke Zero. Ooh, decaf. Very nice. I'll make it I think that's the first one I got. Well, that's cool, man. Uh, yeah, it was just the first bottle I grabbed out of the thing. It was The bourbon was buried back a little bit further. Oh, okay. Are you a, are you more of a bourbon guy? I like bourbon. I like um, if I'm usually if I'm doing mixed drinks, it's Crown and whatever. Um, and then um, uh, bourbon more like you know neater uh, generally. And then um, yeah, Crown or rum sometimes with like a, I just felt like having something carbonated, so I wanted a little little uh, night zero as I call it with a, a little rum in it. I, Felt like that was more my speed tonight. Yeah. yeah. Well, for everybody uh, listening on the pod, uh, not everybody knows who you are, Kelly. Uh, but to us, we know you as the the operator, the creator of the premier Jackets uh, news site, which is JacketsOnline.com. Um, and, and so it's a real honor for us to at least have you on the pod. Uh, our first big question, and, and you know... <laughs> talk later on is is how'd you get into i guess sports journalism in general but then how'd you also get uh plugged in with jol and um that part of the journey okay so um i always i kind of grew up wanting to be like a dj or um like a sports announcer like a play-by-play guy or whatever and i was obsessed with sports talk radio and all that uh, I went to school um, to study journalism, ostensibly actually went to be a screenwriter and um, studied that uh, at, at the school to the east. And um, I uh, spent quite a few years doing that. But uh, when I first got in school, I got into college radio and um, so I worked my way up there. That's how I started covering college football. Uh, we kind of would just go and grab audio clips and do talk shows about stuff and start winning some awards and stuff for like low level radio broadcasts. And um, I was doing that. And then I got hired. I, I did some other jobs in the interim. But right after I graduated, I got hired at the local um, UGA affiliate in, in, in the Athens area. And um, was producing for them, doing like some talk show producing, uh, producing like Larry Munson, uh, the Georgia football and all that stuff. And we had a signing day event and I met the guy that was a publisher of our Georgia site at the time, a guy named Steve Patterson. And Steve wanted to get into podcasting. 
And this was like 2005, like no one knew how to podcast or any of that stuff. And so I came up with kind of a bootleg way, like finding stuff on the internet. I found like back then you couldn't find like headphones that were, um, that you didn't have to have like a board to drive uh, electricity to it or whatever it was called. Uh, it's been so long since I even thought about any of this stuff. But anyways, I came up with a way to do it with a cheap mixer and iBook and like um, some sound effect. Like I made a sound effects board and some other stuff. And we started doing podcasts. They hired me to write for him. And his writer, the guy who's a team writer he didn't like, he fired him and then brought me on as a team writer. And that was how I started covering college football, kind of in the deep end. Then Yahoo bought Rivals right around the time my contract was up and I had met my first wife. She lived in Atlanta. She's like, you got to grow up, move out of the college town, come get a job in the city. And um, I got a job at the Marriott Daily Journal as one of the sports editors for them for one of their, for both the paper and one of their satellite papers and um, ended up uh, working um, for that, for like about 16 months during that time, Steve, the guy I originally worked for, bought the Georgia Tech site, asked me to come do it since I was based in Atlanta. I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, we'll give it a shot. There was like two posts a day on the message board. I was pretty dead. And um, just started from there. And then Steve left like about three months in. He had like something go on with him in his life. And he just gave me the site. And then I slowly started grinding away. I found a couple of people to kind of help um financially get it going the first few years um and and that kind of got us off the ground and then it's just grown pretty consistently since then but it's uh been weird yeah how big how big is it now like in like comparison like trying to wrap your when when i started um uh, uh it's like almost 10 times the size of what it was when i started yeah like I was not making money. Like I was, it was not a great situation, but I was kind of bound and determined to give it a, sh- a try and eventually figure out how to make it work. And slowly but surely built it up and then was able to start hiring like part-time people. And then eventually I found Russell who works for me, Russell Johnson, and then was able to bring him in more of like a full-time role. And then that's sort of where we're at now. We're still trying to grow the site that, kind of coincided with the, the program stucking, uh, the worst it sucked in football and in men's basketball, really, um, during the, sort of like the last five, eight, five, five, six years, seven years. And so it's been interesting to still be able to mostly grow the site during all of that, even through, I, I think we grew even during COVID. Um, so, I mean, it was, it's been a lot of uh, trials and tribulations. It's certainly not like the same as like, you know, running the Florida State side or, or Alabama or whatever in terms of just the sheer numbers of people that are demanding your product. But it's also a lot more fun because, like, um, I've I've met, like, probably I would bet I've met, like, half the subscribers in person at this point. Like, um, there's just been a lot of interactions, like, uh, and, and then a lot of the other ones I've spoken to in different ways, like messages, emails or whatever. So it's a lot more personal than it would be if it was like the Texas site, which is like, you know, um, I don't know what it is. It's probably like five times the size of my site or whatever. Like, so it is a little different animal. And, um, I like that it's kind of like our little community or whatever. I, I enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
I know you said you obviously you went to uh, the school down in the east side of Georgia. What was that transition like, kind of moving to the GT world? Did you get a lot of flack from your UGA fans, or was that a pretty easy transition to put your tech hat on? So a little bit of like uh, like the Antichrist to like some of the 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 old school UGA posters who still remember what I did and stuff. Like they get mad at me still to this day about it. Uh, so I have a couple friends that are kind of annoyed. Most of them have gotten over it at this point. Um, in my family, it wasn't like that big a deal. Um, a stepbrother and a brother who were sort of Georgia fans, and they're kind of don't really say much about it. Never really comes up. Um, it was it was weird. I'll tell you that it was a very strange thing because I'd spent so much time with Georgia. I'd start, but the first thing I covered was like the press conference where Jim Donnan got fired, and I covered like the first six of Mark Rick's first seven years or something like that. And um, it was just a totally different animal being in the city, being not where like because I, I grew up in Athens too, so like I had lived there for whatever it was at that point when I moved. It probably been. 20 years or something like I'd lived in Athens straight. And so it was a huge adjustment, um, moving to the city, moving to being in Atlanta, dealing with traffic. I lived in Canton for a long time and was like driving from Canton to Georgia tech, which was awful. Um, and then trying to drive home at night at, cause Paul Johnson used to practice at night, trying to drive back at like seven 30 up five seventy five, like, all of that crap. Uh, it got a lot easier when I moved into Mar moved to Marietta um, after my uh, oldest kid was born, and uh, was a little closer in. And then, um, yeah, just you, you know, I think what got me into it the most was um, the relationships with the kids, like uh, getting to know the recruits. I, I mean, I covered recruiting a lot harder um, before there was a Russell. I had to do everything myself, so I got to know everyone was on the team all those guys now that have you know are adults now which is very weird to me but like i got to know all of them pretty well um and yeah. so those relationships are awesome there's still quite a few guys i talked to that were former players and uh you know some are on the board some are on the board and kind of down low and uh that was sort of like i guess the cooler part of it i fell at georgia it was very transactional the relationships like it was like hey we're here to play football this is like the nfl and you're you guys are you guys and and like paul johnson you know had me and having me hang out in his office and i'll go up there every tuesday after our presser and go hang out with him for like an hour before practice and just talk about whatever was going on in the world Sometimes it was funny because he would watch like some game film of other games, like other coaches' games, and then give his commentary on decisions they made in the games and stuff. There was a famous one with Les Miles. They, I think they were playing Ole Miss or something. There was just like a terrible sequence of coaching by both of them. I think it might have been Houston Nutt or whoever it was at the time. And like, and he he was just going crazy. Like, what? He's like, what the hell are they doing? Like, it was very funny to just kind of see like him react to all that, and then here's thoughts and stuff. And I still have a great relationship with coach Johnson. Um, had a funny conversation with him the other day when, when Jeff Collins got, uh, got hired at UNC I shot a text <laughs> what happened. And he immediately like called me to like, he was like fascinated by the whole thing. Cause he knows Mac Brown really well. And uh, he found the whole thing really interesting that, that, that Jeff was, that was where Jeff was going to make his comeback a bid. So yeah, um, yeah it's been cool. 
it sounds like the really exciting part that you like is like the relationship part with like the, the, the people, the coaches, the players, is that like shifted kind of like your football fandom instead of like rooting just for a team. You're, you're more like on the granular level, like the, the people playing the game, not just like the, the flag. Sure. So like I was at the Rose Bowl, right? And I own our Alabama site. I own a, a couple different rival sites. And um, I own our Alabama site and have been trying to sort of turn that into its own version of JOL or whatever. And um, I went out to the Rose Bowl to cover it and watching like Nick Saban and his wife and like their interactions and the player and knowing a couple of the players and like it, you feel for them like when on sort of a human level watching it um more like i like i was like the only thing i was disappointed about like watching that game for example was like i was like oh man i would have liked to have gone to houston and covered the national championship game which was like the next week like that was more of my thought process than with tech it's a little more disappointing if like if like like last year in 22 when they didn't make a bowl game right like I was hoping just to see that like that level up, and then I was real excited for for them this year when they got to go bowling. Um, it frustrates me when there's like a, like the Bowling Green game or like Boston College where they clunk it, and then I got to deal with like irate people for ten days, seven days, whatever it is. That that's problematic. It's more about my, in some level, it's more about my own self-interest at this point too. Like I want them to succeed because it's better for me, uh, both emotionally and mentally, to see them like do well versus either be terrible or be decent. That's where I think we're caught in a little bit of a weird spot with basketball right now because he gave everyone very false hope, beating Duke Dude. without one of their best players and Mississippi State without one of their best players. And I kept telling everybody to like chill, like this is not a very good team. Like they're gonna play well and beat some people and they're gonna lose some games they're not supposed to lose, and that's exactly how the season's unfolded. Yeah. That's more frustrating to me than say like if you know, they were just sort of bad or like and you were like, Oh, okay, this is a growing pains year, he's playing all these kids or whatever. Like and with Brent, um, I think the thing that's exciting about watching his teams most of the time, really other than what the Clemson game this year is that, and that, you know, even that they were in it for a little bit is they're competitive. It's what I liked about covering Paul Johnson is like every game they had a chance to win mm -hmm. uh, pretty much going in maybe one or two where it was to overmatch once you saw them on the field, but like you feel like they have a good game plan and we'll figure out a way to be competitive. And I like that a lot. What we like on the podcast is drinking beers. So if uh, you're a listener, uh, we're on beer number two. Another one. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Kelly, um, yeah. you mentioned, you know, bringing Russell on to the, to the team. Um, obviously, he's been huge in his recruiting insights. Uh, maybe just talk a little bit about what he's brought to the table and um, maybe – are there any other future plans to maybe increase the staff or what? maybe just talk about the future of the site and your plans? So, yeah, that's sort of what I think our next um, goal is. I would like to do less, like, um, team writing mm -hmm. and do more things like my columns and big picture, doing more multimedia and stuff. I mean, I've written a gajillion articles at this point. Like, 
that's the one beautiful thing about bringing Russell on was that it got me out of the rut of having to write all those recruiting updates. And um, he has a real passion for it. Russell came to me at one of the other sites I own. Um, it's a very small Cincinnati site. And Russell came on as an intern. He had worked at like SB Nation maybe or something like that. And just approached me like through DMs or something, or actually approached one of my friends, and then we got connected. And I started mentoring him, and mentoring him, and mentoring him. And then he took a job at Ole Miss that he probably shouldn't have taken because he didn't talk to me about it ahead of time. Moved to Mississippi, didn't enjoy it, kind of went through a lot of stuff personally, and then went back. And it, it when he went back to Ohio at that point. Um, it kind of coincided with when Jeff got brought in and there was suddenly interest in recruiting again. Paul had been very stagnant with his recruiting, uh, just kind of doing what he needed to do, but nothing special. Um, he didn't have a huge passion for it at that point. He felt a little disconnected from the kids. And so Russell was like kind of excited about it. So it was just like, all right, let's bring you on and see how you do. Say so connect with the board. Not everyone does. We've gone, there have been like five or six other Russells before Russell that like were people that tried to do it and maybe they didn't have the passion for it. Or, you know, some people just had to like go get other jobs and, and had other things and going on in their lives or whatever. So uh, ultimately it kind of worked out. He's kind of leveled up. The joke I make with Russell is every year he's worked for me, he's made more money. You know, we started at a very low amount, but I mean, every year it's gotten better and better. And so, you know, my goal, you know, is my goals have been to get him to just be fully focused on on rivals um, at some point, and then also um, to bring on a uh, like someone that likes to write uh, stories and tell stories. That's not necessarily my forte. I I am um, a new someone that delivers news. My writing is not very strong. I don't put a lot into like a lot of time into it anymore it's just more of like presenting information to people and then letting you guys figure it out that's why like my practice notes are what they are i used to write like a three thousand word notebook that was like super elaborate and it's like i was killing myself every night spending three hours writing this thing it's like they don't they just want the bits of information so i figured out how to streamline things um using what'd you say are you using any of the chat gpt maybe to no, you know, that's funny. My wife and I joke about that all the time. Um, I'm, like, scared of all that stuff. So um, I'm a little bit of, like, now in, like, that technophobe, like, phase, like, where I'm getting older and, like, don't, like, a, like I still have an XR, like, iPhone, like, um, like, with the one lens on it or whatever. Like, I've been dragging oh, yeah. place in that, like. Uh, yeah, it's not, I don't know. I used to be like all into all the new gadgets and stuff, but not anymore. And stuff like that, like AI, like kind of freaks me out a little bit. I, I guess I watched like the Terminator too many times as I was a kid or something. <laughs> That's fair. All fair. Well, I think you mentioned earlier that you've been to the Rose Bowl game and then, you know, in the forums, you talked how you were close to Dave Portnoy, like, <laughs> you mentioned like McAfee and, and you know in all fairness to you you said that it's not really your cup of tea I mean tools like me love it and eat it hey man, you know I you, I will say one thing with Portnoy I love is like pizza shorts 
Oh yeah. Pizza shorts on YouTube. And I was in New York and I like followed his in Manhattan, like followed some of his like pizza recommendations. They were legit. Like the one place it told me to go to was like this place that like uh, two food guys like Anthony Bourdain and Andrew Zimmer in love. That was like over by Madison square garden. It was great. Like it was like awesome, legit pizza. And I've been to Manhattan a billion times. So uh, yeah, no, like, uh, that that is funny, but yeah, like I was just kind of laughing, uh, especially you know the part of the game where I was, he was sitting by me the whole time Michigan was losing. So I was watching him kind of sweat it because the dude had like a million dollar bet on the game. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, he was he was sweating bullets at halftime. I'll tell you that he was uh he looked pretty freaked out. Yeah. So like those guys like him and McAfee. I know it's it's the new thing. Maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but then you know. Rivals also dominates the recruiting thing. Like I, I don't think anybody listens to ESPN 150 or anything. Where do you see, and with the, I guess in this age of podcasting and other stuff, I mean, we're on a podcast. Um, where do you see sports journalism going? Because, I mean, you're at the forefront of it, man. Yeah, that's the thing I've been trying to figure out. I you know, started to dabble in doing YouTube, and we've done podcasting. It's hard to do. Russell and I both have, like, young children, so it just makes it hard to carve out time to, you know, like tonight I had to tell my wife, hey, I got to block out whatever time, like, and she's cool with it, but I'm lucky that I can kind of figure out other, I spent like a bunch of time with my kids, like when, as soon as I got home until like I came down here, but like, it's weird. It's, I hate like ESPN now, like watching it, like the people arguing with each other. Like I could not give a crap about that. I've listened to McAfee's show, like, um sometimes and like i like it fine like it's not bad for broadcasting i grew up i loved like uh tony kornheiser's espn radio show which was on like the early 2000s and dan patrick on espn yeah and um it was cool back in those days they did uh they streamed i worked in a computer lab at georgia uh for like disabled students so we were just sitting around for hours waiting you'd wait for someone to come in and help them if they needed it if not you were just there to be technical support so a lot of times we're just sitting there on the computer and using napster and like um but so they stream these espn used to stream their broadcasts so like tony kornheiser did like a whole other show that was uncensored on like the stream because they couldn't air the commercials over the air oh, uh back then on on like it was like real stream or something like that whatever they were using and real player and um it was great like you hear like his actual real thoughts about stuff and they ended up getting suspended over it and that was like around the time pti started and i love those shows and stuff at first but it's like i think i don't know how they do it man it's like they're doing like a dog and pony show every night it's like being in vegas like singing elvis songs or something like it seems very soul-sucking like to me and I think there's a lot of phoniness and a lot of bravado that goes on with these things. Some people are genuine. I think like probably like a Portnoy or like, or, you know, Pat McPhee or like one of those dudes, um, you know, some of those dudes seem like honest, but a lot of them aren't, man. You think Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless are like, that's all a bunch of baloney, man. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I'm going to talk about, you know, Troy Aikman, LeBron James or whatever gets me riled up. Like, it's just like fake uh, fakeness. And I, I prefer ESPN. I, you know, so like at night, and this is something I've been telling some friends about. 
You know what I've done to kind of unwind at night now? I go back and watch like old baseball games from like the 1990s, 1980s. Like, and I followed baseball religiously as a kid. So I know like the players and the teams. I can watch like a 1987 Reds, you know, Dodgers game and like know who everyone is in the game. And it's very relaxing. Like the, there's no crap. Like it's just a broadcast, uh, you know, Vince Scully or whoever doing the game. Um, Tom Brenneman or whoever, like, and just doing like a normal broadcast, not trying to be overly funny, not trying to do anything weird. And so I'm thrown by all this now because everything's all about like, I want attention. I want you to pay attention to me. Here's my hot take on who should replace Nick Saban, or here's my hot take on, you know, why the, who the Atlanta Falcons should hire to be their head coach. And it's not about, you know, information or why or any of that stuff. It's just like, hey, you know, I want to generate interest from people and, and generate clicks. So I'm going to say something crazy to spice things up. Yeah, definitely different. I mean, yeah, I grew up watching Sports Center just to, to hear what was going on. I mean, now you're getting everything as it happens in real time. So just a different, yeah, different ball game. Yeah, I used to get the sporting news, like the it was a full size magazine. It was the reason why I got it a lot of the time, most of the time. So I like to look at the baseball statistics because there was no online to like look at it. And they would print out like the week before's like where everyone was, season stats. They'd have it by teams and stuff, and you could look through it. And those days are gone. Like if you go to like Sports Illustrated, it's what they had like fake writers writing for them. Like um, they got ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah, like I mean. Like, we're far cry. A lot of these things have, like, really deteriorated. Um, it gets into, like, my whole rant about, uh, like, the CNN, Fox News, MSNBCs of the world and all that stuff. Like, I have really strong opinions about all that, too. As someone that grew up, like, studying journalism, studying TV journalism, um, and we literally were studying this, well, I guess, 24 years ago. Like, what was going on? It was already starting to turn into what, what it is now, which is basically sports arguing and people turning their politics into uh, sports affiliations. Like I'm a Republican. So it's like, I'm an Alabama fan or a Georgia fan or whatever. And then like, I'm a liberal. So I'm, you know, Duke fan or whatever it is. Like it, that's the, that's the rub and all this. And it, I think it's gross and it's very simple minded. And to me, people are like, I know people get irrationally angry about this stuff. And I'm like, they're talking about like something crazy that like some politician did. And it's like, what is wrong with you? Like, you are visibly angry over something that may, you don't even understand probably or have like actual details about. But you're angry because some dude on TV told you to be angry about it. Like, it has nothing to do with your daily life. It is about driving, driving viewership selling catheters on TV, like, <laughs> um, like with the cowboy catheter guy. Like, I, it's just funny to me, man. Like, my, and, you know, seeing, like, my parents and, like, um, my ex-wife's parents and uh, my in-laws now, like, everybody gets caught up in this stuff. And it just, like, life's too short, man. Like, why are you, like, who cares that some politician has a freezer full of, overpriced ice cream like is that like exactly. something that anyone gives a crap about like cool 
Yeah. No. Uh, no. Nope. It seems way out of touch. And most of these people, these people like pay attention to, would not want to even like talk to them for two seconds in real life. And they're like championing them and stuff. And that's gross to me too. Like, I, I, I like people to be real and, and life to be real. And it's just all that's gone out the window. And, and all of our news and reporting and stuff is just very much this is my opinion. And here's some sort of facts to back it up and I'm going to manipulate them in a way to back up my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a clickbait society. Um, but switching gears a little bit. Um, so you, I know you mentioned, obviously you have a great relationship with a uh, DPJ. I don't think it was maybe quite as good with, with Jeff, but now it seems like with Brent, um, you guys, you know, have a pretty, pretty good relationship. It seems like you're communicating pretty frequently. Maybe just talk to us a little bit about what it's like working with Jet. I mean, uh, with Coach Key and uh, how, how that's going. With, with uh, the minister. Uh, <laughs> what do you flip there? <laughs> um, no, Brent's awesome. Uh, and I got along fine with Jeff Collins. He was easy to deal with. He pushed off a lot of things to other people in his organization, but uh, whenever I had to deal with him something directly, he was always fine. Um, he tried, I think, a little bit to make himself like the Pope, um, which I didn't enjoy. Brent's, Brent's Brent. Brent is exactly the same person. He puts on a little bit of like, you know, having to clean up his act a little bit for doing radio or TV or whatever or in his media thing. But the rest of the time, Brent, I could text him right now about something and he would, and we, you know, the thing about Brent is I can talk. Brent, you can talk to him about anything. Same with Paul Johnson. Just talk about politics or finances or whatever with Paul or other sports. Brent's same way. Brent's a fan of like a lot of different things, has a lot of different interests. We had a long conversation about Jimmy Buffett when he died because he was a big parrothead, yeah. which I found fascinating. Like because I had never got into it, I found it interesting. But Chase's parents um, are giant parrotheads. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was like in like True Morning, like about. Uh, Jimmy Buffett died, man. Like he was bummed out about it. Um, but you know, like it's just—he's a genuine dude. He's like just a good old boy that like goes to Orange Beach in the summer and goes down and likes to do all that stuff and drink and sit and sit on the beach and you know he, he lives a, a fairly normal life except for the fact that he's like really dedicated to football and when it's in the season and they're working or when it's recruiting time, he, they, he expects a lot. He's very demanding. And he's a guy that slept in his office for years. Like, and he expects that from his guys to be like putting in 18, 19 hour days in the season, like working their tails off. And you can, and he demands the same from the players and you see the, the respect and the buy-in from the players based on that. And that's what his culture is. And it's legit. I think Jeff talked about those things, but he wasn't living that life. Like they did at first, they were burning the candle at both ends and he was doing a lot of different stuff, but like he didn't have a plan. Like Brent has binder upon binder of like things and he's been collecting ideas and stuff forever in the hopes of one day being a head coach. He studied everything Nick Saban did. His wife studied what Miss Terry did at Alabama, Nick Saban's wife. Like they were very serious about this stuff from the jump. Like, I want to be a head coach one day. He didn't want to be an offense coordinator. Didn't want to be whatever. He wanted to be either a line coach or be the be the guy. And yeah. 
it comes across very clearly when you talk to him. He he knows what he wants. Yeah, I I know for our, our listeners, like we've had Nick Penley on, we've had Cade Kuster at our Coots, yeah, and they they you know say what you will about Jeff, but you know whenever we asked him about Brent, you know they had nothing but respect and like praise for him. I did, you know, you talk about being a real person. I think listening to what's it, the uh, weekly radio sh- show that he does at a uh, Hamp, not Hamplin, uh, New Realm with, yeah. Uh, yeah, that. And then the uh, press conference as- after the Gasparilla Bowl, where he- <laughs> it's it's not Gatorade, it's power, you know, Powerade. We're a Coca Cola school. Like you kind of see oh, yeah. like personality. Oh yeah, he's like very playful. Um, he'll like send like we have a good relationship, so we talk a lot. He'll send like riddles like about stuff. Like he's very funny in that way. Like he's a smart dude. He he made it through Georgia Tech. Like you know, like you gotta be a sharp dude. It's uh, they ain't easy. And um, it, it's fascinating to kind of see like his personality. And sometimes his jokes go kind of flat, and it's kind of interesting because the room will be real dead. And he'll like mess with like Chad or someone, and like he's like, oh, I'm just messing with you guys. Like I'm, I have a pretty good read for it these days, but like it's very funny. And then like half, you'll see him like blow up every once in a while. And then like as soon as the camera stops, he'll like wink at me because it was an intentional like him like messing with everybody. Like he like gets real like ag- aggressive talking about something or whatever. And then as soon as it stops, he smiles and like winked at me and like. It's the opposite of what Jeff was because Jeff was all about artifice and like this is this is what I'm presenting to sell things, right? Like I am a salesman. That's what Jeff was. And I think Brent views it as I am the leader of this program and I'm the CEO of this company. And when I do stuff, I want to represent what my ideals are for that. And so I think it's amazing to, to, to like how calculated he is but in a genuine way it's not like he's it's not artificial it's not him putting on a show he has no idea what we're gonna ask him half the time and it's funny every once in a while i'll get him with something and he'll after the presser come up to me and be like you you went uh you stuck the knife in there for a second didn't you (laughs) and yeah it's just funny because like a lot of times it'll be like something you guys ask about on the message boards and like if i get it enough i'll I'll ask it eventually like if people like really are hankering to hear about something so um i know i remember one of those happened in the season i can't remember what the question was but he was just like he came up to me afterwards and like gave me a look and was like what was that and i was like it's like bro i've been asked this question like 13 times in the last two days so i was just gonna ask you and whatever you said was the answer because i was tired of being asked the question and he's like got it you know and like even with jeff like if there was something really weird like usually i'll go to them ahead of time be like hey man i'm gonna ask you about why so-and-so got kicked off the team or whatever like that hasn't really happened of late but like whatever if there's something really like weird i will generally do the benefit of like being like giving them time to think about how they want to answer it i'm happy hey i'm gonna ask you this in the presser it's interesting because like Damon's very much like that too, man. Um, they're very different, but very similar in, in how honest both of them are about stuff. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I mean, you know, you want to keep a good relationship with them, earn their trust. You don't want to, you don't want to blindside them. But the same I'm not trying to go to anybody. That's not my yeah. thing. 
Yeah, you still gotta you still gotta do your job though and ask the questions. So right. Yeah, it's about having the balance of doing like being a good journalist and uh, and I got really lazy during Jeff, man. Like he was so bad at answering the questions that I like you know, for years I would have like a little notepad and got out of all that and with Brent I'd actually start like typing out questions and having them I usually have my laptop open in case he says something or like there's some breaking news or something I can put it out and I'll actually start having like a list of questions for him because he'll actually go as what I used to do with Paul Johnson like Paul would answer just about anything so like I can actually ask real questions and get real answers and you can still see in some of our media groups there's a little bit of the old, you know, just kind of asking, making a, someone out, making a statement as a question, and that's left over, I think, from Jeff in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I think that was my least favorite part about the Jeff Collins era was was the press conferences. As a fan, yeah, it wasn't the denim line. It wasn't. Uh, the, uh, I mean, there were. I, I don't want to go down the laundry list of things that that I didn't like, but I was a big grief fan. It was just, you know, the chaos cruiser. You just wanted to hear that, like you just wanted to hear something real, and you just never did, and that was the most yeah. frustrating. Man, thing. blew it up one time at me. That was like about as, and like literally, I got a high five from one of the guys on the staff that he actually got like a real reaction out of Jeff. It was so weird because if you go watch when he was at Temple, it was not like that at all. And it's like he read some like like New Age Guru book and like came back from like whatever like the winter vacation was and like. In his, into his first year and was like, I'm going to be this like new age coach that's hip and cool. And, but it was like totally opposite on the field because we'd be out of practice or whatever. And he's like MF and the team and talking about himself. And I was like, I've literally, I've been, at, I've been at, I was at Dallas Cowboy practices when Jimmy Johnson was the head coach. When I was a little kid. I have never seen some like coach do that like more than one time. Like, make it about themselves. And that, that was his problem, man. Like he getting that Georgia tech job was like the worst thing that could ever happen to Jeff. Cause it was like a confirmation of like his ego and he didn't know how to like handle it, I guess. I don't know. He's like, not a, the, the end of the day, he's not a bad guy. It's not his fault. They signed him to an insane contract or any of this stuff that happened. He was in over his head for whatever reason. He had terrible, leadership from above him in terms of like having someone to be, you know, whatever you want to say about Todd Stansberry, he was a terrible boss of Jeff Collins. Like he didn't hip check all the things he could have early on to keep that, keep him more in line and maybe give him a chance. And so you end up with that, what you got, which is they overpaid for a guy paid a million dollars a year, basically a million per win per year for Jeff Collins. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. Like, I mean, you know, Jeff can be mad. I don't think he's mad at me. I've been pretty honest about everything, but I occasionally take a little jab. But, like, I didn't dislike him. I'd like him fine. If I had to cover him tomorrow, I'd deal with it. Like, yeah, it would be a little awkward, but, like, you know, I had to deal with BG when he got the USF job. So that was, I had to deal with BG for a full year after I reported he was getting fired because Mike Babinski told me he was going to fire him. And then the president of the university told him no. Yeah. And he had to keep him for another year. And then he almost kept his job. So that was what, what, All right. This is off script. 
but you know, we both work for uh, Brian Gregory. What did you, what do you think of him? Because I got called. Oh, some Brian. He's a great, Brian is a great dude. He was awesome to deal with. Uh, you know, my dear friend, Russ Wood, who just died. He, he loved BG. Like they worked, you know, he had a great relationship. BG let him come to practice whenever he wanted. Like BG was great. He was like, um, the opposite of Paul Johnson. So Paul Johnson had this great offense, was great offensive mind. And every day was like the with Brian Gregory had this great defense. They played really well. And every offensive game was like that Clemson game where Al Groh got fired, like or the middle Tennessee State game where they stole the signals. It was like watching the just complete train wreck on offense. And as someone that loves basketball, it sucked every piece of my soul out every day watching them play basketball. Because it was just impossible to enjoy, man. Like you just give the ball a headache, dribble the ball for twenty three seconds and then make a pass and try to throw up a desperate shot. It drove me crazy, and if he had just hired like someone to help him with the offense, it's the same thing that happened to Josh, basically. Like, just hire a guy to be your offensive coordinator and let him coach your offense because you have a great defense. You, you recruit talented guys, talented enough guys to win. You just don't have like a system that makes any damn sense. Like, you can't, you can't. Even, like, even if you look at Virginia, they had games where they would outscore people. He didn't have a shooter until Adam Smith, his last year at Georgia Tech, it was the first time he had a three-point shooter on the team. It took him whatever it was, five years, to, like find one, and it was in a grad transfer from Virginia Tech. I think it was where he was from. I'm yep. like, yeah, we yeah. we know that very well. Josh and I were were both basketball managers from 2011 to 2014. So, so you guys were. In- the hybrid years where um, you were in the playing in Gwinnett and, and Phillips, right? Yes, I, 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 I did. Uh, Josh came the, the next year. But, yeah, okay. I was, actually, funny story. Um, the very first game in Gwinnett that BG coached, we're, we're, get, we're getting ready. Um, you're, you know, we're just in the locker room and stuff. And BG didn't uh, pack a belt for his, <laughs> for, for his suit. So he's looking around. Next thing I know, he he's like asking Chris Jacobs, the director of basketball operations. He's like, uh, "Chase, uh, coach needs your belt for the game." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I gave BG my belt for the game, and I didn't have one. So that that was just a, a funny story from the the Gwinnett days. Oh man, yeah that that sucked. I thought I th- thought it was weird they hired a coach who was like. Fans were wanting to get rid of at Dayton. Dayton. Yeah, they had gotten sick of it too. Like he was playing Michigan State basketball without the guys that Michigan State had. Like there was no freaks. Like they had, you know, Marcus George's Hunt was sort of a freak in a way, but wasn't freaky athletic. And um, you needed like a team full of those dudes, like to run that stuff. He had like. I mean, we had we had Robert Carter though, I was say and, Robert Carter. and uh, Chris Bolden was pretty highly uh, highly rated. I mean, well, so Chris Bolden was like the thing that was sort of his undoing though, because like a lot of kids hated Chris Bolden and didn't want to play with him. And so when he took him, and then took <laughs> Solomon Poole, those two guys were the guys that Solo sowed the seeds of his uh, demise. Unfortunately, Solo was the precursor, uh, Davon Smith, like. Yeah. The uh, just dude is a freak that should have been like an NBA player that can't put it together um, in his head. Well, they also had his brother too. 
Stacy. put Stacy, Pierre Jordan to get Robert Carter, who was yeah. terrible. So he had two guys he had to take to get two other guys, one of whom sucked in Solomon Poole. And so you ended up with like three roster spaces taken up by guys that weren't gonna weren't good enough to play in the ACC. Basically, the sad thing was, I Stacy was a good person. He was a good dude. He just was not yeah. good enough. Like, yeah. you know, he got sold something, and it was for his brother. And I felt bad for him. I yeah, I don't. I don't know if you saw this, Kelly, but there was there was one practice where Solomon uh, was shooting free throws. And he was he was intentionally banking them, and uh, he 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 made like every single one. Yeah. And and, and BG told him like he's like, what are you doing? And Don't he do he, he told him to cut it out. But he was like automatic when he when he did it. But oh, that's he, hilarious. But but BG was like, no, we're not doing that. And so he he stopped doing it. But I'm like, if it works, it works, you know. But he he, t- he told him no. No, BG got like snowed into that Tom Harrion thing. Tom was not a great hire, and then he kept Tom at USF, and that was sort of he was like sort of the downfall guy on his staff. There's always, there's usually when you see a coach struggle, there's like something you can trace it to, just outside of the coach. And I always thought it was kind of Tom. He's also a nice guy. Um, Though he got in a lot of trouble at USF for some things he said and got fired there, but um, yeah, I just I, BG, I just didn't understand what the hell he was doing, like on offense. And then you got Josh. I remember telling, I got into like an argument with Mike Babinski actually when he hired him. It's like, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, the folks in Memphis didn't want him either. I live in yeah. Like, you just hired Brian Gregory, but. The guy who like won a bunch of dudes with like Cal Perry players, basically, is the way I put it to him. And he goes, "Wait till you meet him." And then I met Josh and loved Josh. He was a great dude, but not a good offensive coach. And I still talk. Josh called me yesterday um, when he found out about Rust and like just to offer his condolences. He's one of the best humans I've ever dealt with. Yeah, and I think that was his downfall. Like he was just too nice. And that's what they say here in Memphis too. He's too nice. Yeah, like if you're. He got walked all over. That's the thing that Damon's talked about with the basketball teams. Like he had to teach them accountability. Like he said, there just wasn't a lot. And I think his better teams that Josh had, I think Jose and those guys were maybe holding it together internally, like holding people accountable internally. And that may, may have been how he needed to, to win. But obviously, you know, Jay saw something and, and was just like, all right, I'm, I've had enough. I'm going to bring Damon in and see if he can turn it around. I'm interested to see what Damon does. He's recruiting really well. Like, I don't love what they're doing on defense. Um, but, but, you know, he doesn't have enough horses yet, so it's hard to tell. Like, I'll be real curious to see. He's learning, and that's the other thing people forget, too. And I, I was having a conversation with a booster today, and, like, he was a little down on Damon and his in-game coach. And I was like, he's kind of learning, too, man. Like, yeah. this is a different game than what he coached. He was an assistant at Memphis. He was at Pacific, which is like way different than he was on the Celts bench. And so this is a little bit of a different animal than that. And there's a learning curve to all of it. And he's he's a guy who knows the game. He should be able to figure it out. But there, he's going to have to figure things out um, on the fly right now. And 
you know, they've done a nice job of spotting talent. Nate George, nobody wanted. And he's like, you know, a pretty consistent point guard now as a true freshman. And the guy should still be in high school. And buying Andongo is unbelievable. Yeah. So they have an eye for talent. Like, they're fine. Like, I think he could win just finding enough talent. Like, that's what Paul Hewitt did for a long time. Um, you know, just out talenting people, but you're going to have some clunkers in there. So, I like, I really like Damon. He's down to earth. He really is like falling in love with Georgia Tech, man. He was like pissed after the Georgia game, I think it was. Yeah. He, he that, that was the coverage. Yeah. 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 Like, there is a not safe for work clip that Chad Bishop has. Because uh, I stopped recording as soon as like the first f bomb came out, but he started talking about like the broadcast and how offended he was at how they were talking about what Brent was doing, Brent's coaching choices in the game. Like he was yeah. like incredulous about it, and it was like two days later. It was like on a Monday or something. Like I was shocked. Like it was before he even started talking. He just launched into it as soon as he walked up to us. Like he like asked us about the game, and then he just launched into and. I, I got a copy of it and sent it to Brent, which he really enjoyed, like hearing Damon's thoughts. It's like one of those things I'd have to like. The only way I could ever play it is like at some like, like speaking event or something, because like it's it's pretty uh pretty unfiltered. <laughs> nice. I yeah, I tweeted at Greg McElroy after that bullshit. Uh, but behind the scenes thing, they were pissed they were doing that game. I was clear, like I watched, I saw them sit around the table before the game, and you can see body language and stuff. They were pissed. They thought it was a bad game, like to be doing, and so that was their approach walking into the game. I think was they, they were, were professional clowns. Yeah, they they were pissed. They were doing this game. Georgia's on their march to third national championship. They're going to beat the hell out of Georgia Tech. Why are we here? Yeah. That was the vibes they were putting off. Because I've been around some of those dudes before, and. Uh, one of the things I left out when I was talking about my past is I worked for uh, CBS Sports for a little while doing um, stats. Like one of my friends was their statistician for uh, the SEC football. And so I got to do games in the area or in Jacksonville and some other places. And um, it was interesting because I got to talk to like I, like some of the games I was literally on the headset talking to Vern and um, Gary Danielson and feeding them information and stuff and that was kind of an interesting look into all of that stuff too but yeah there's definitely um those guys like all a lot of them have opinions about stuff you know sean mcdonough can be like a little chippy like which i enjoy when it's not a game that i'm like of a team that i have any stake in but because like i've been laughed my butt off listening to him like grill like ACC refs or something like some Miami whatever game that's like the eight o'clock game I'm in my hotel room watching like but it is weird when it's like a team you cover and they're like criticizing you know Brent for kicking a field goal or something in the first half and it's like take the points man you don't know how many scoring opportunities you're gonna have at that point it wasn't like we were down 20 nothing like the books the book would tell you to take the points like that's not a weird decision he made well you know, we jump back into the football a little bit. We had this question. Um, you know, <laughs> you're getting blown up left and right about Georgia Tech's next defensive coordinator. Georgia Tech's next defensive coordinator. You know, and we could ask you that you know, who you think it's going to be, but um, coming. Well, unfortunately, I know who it's going to be, which is uh, takes the fun out of it for me. But um, I've had a story written for like two days now, and um, oh shit. Uh, 
So we're, Russell has his companion piece written too that goes with it. Um, but when I know that, this is a double-edged short of um, I've been asked to sit on it until like everything's done. So the way these hires work for people that don't know is like, there's a lot of paperwork, background checks, all of those things that go down. And it usually takes, like, from the time Brent says he wants somebody, it may take a few days, like business days, to get everything done. And at that time, people have walked. I've seen it at other schools. Like, And I think maybe it's happened once since I've covered Georgia Tech, and I can't remember what the circumstance was. But, like, maybe it was Stacy Serrells, the offensive line coach that Paul wanted to hire um, back in – 2014 or whatever it was whenever uh, 2016 was when Mark Rick went to Miami and he ended up taking, he offered Stacy more money before he had signed the deal. Stacy just wanted Georgia tech to match and he would come even though he would have preferred to work for Rick who had worked for before. And Mike Babinski said no. And that was pretty much, I think the time when Paul was done. Um, <laughs> With Georgia Tech, he was, it was the clock was ticking from that moment on. But uh, so yeah, so typically like so right, so Brent wanted to basically like put everything out all out at once, I think, and um, that was the vibe I got. And the, with Jess Simpson, the D line coach, I broke that story. It was because it was such a high profile guy from Georgia was going to get out, and it was starting to like I was starting to hear about it from enough people. Where I was like, look, I got to do this. Um, with the other guy that was a football scoop with Kyle Pope, the DC thing. Now he was, he, he really did a really thorough process. It was like 40 guys he interviewed, um, just like he did with the OC job. And the reality was it was a compressed timeline. Cause he started after New years, um, actually doing like the for real, he did like zooms probably or calls or whatever prior to that. But the real serious stuff was done after that. And, um, Brent's been real good to me. So like I'm being good to him in this situation and respecting him to make sure he doesn't get screwed over until everything's done. And so, uh, you know, if I find out from other sources that everything's done then I'll, I can run it and, if not, I'll sit on it a little bit longer. I don't, I'm not like that desperate for like two minutes of fame or whatever on Twitter that I'm going to burn a really good relationship with Brent or whoever, or Damon Stoudemire or whatever it is, like Paul Johnson. Um, there were a couple, if you remember that last year, there were a couple of guys where I was like kind of not putting the story out that they've been hired is because they're, they hadn't been hired. Like it wasn't done. And so, um, my whole thing was like, I, I want to be like official before someone, before I put it out. That's my, I guess, old school journalism way of thinking about it. No, no problem with that. I mean, you already talked and kind of highlighted the fact that, you know, you think highly Jess as a, you know, with his Georgia connections. Um, and then it's the uh, Memphis defensive line coach, I think, that G8 at Alabama is the next yep. guy that they already announced or, or, yeah, so Kyle Pope, well, it, yeah, it came out from Football Scoop. Um, so Kyle Pope was a guy Brett tried to hire before he brought Marco Coleman back. Oh, wow. um, Kyle, think about it this way. He was the defensive line GA at Alabama when Brent was the O-line coach. So who do you think coaches the scout team every day when Brent goes against him? It's not Freddie Roach, the D-line coach. I think Freddie might have been the D-line coach there at the time. or Whoever it was, Tosh LePoy or whoever. 
he the guy who coaches that group against Brent is going to be that GA. So Brent got to watch this dude coach every single day for two years at practice. He knows him like really well. And so I think that's where that relationship was. And the reason why Kyle didn't come last year is Kyle, from what I gathered, thought he would have an opportunity to replace Matt House if Matt House left. Matt House was their defense coordinator at Memphis. He went to, I think that was his name, he went to Mississippi State. And then they hired an outside D.C., so that precipitated Kyle deciding to leave Memphis. And then Brent was able to connect with him and make it happen this time. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it. I mean, I think of all our position groups, it's probably a toss-up between defensive line and linebacking group, but we really need the most improvement there, so I'm hoping he can bring the juice. There it's about player development. That's how Georgia Tech makes their money. They're not going out and getting Robert Candice or like yeah. Will Anderson or whoever. Like those guys. I mean, they tried to get Will Anderson. They did a nice job with him, but didn't get him. That was one of the better recruiting jobs Jeff did. But um, they've got to go out and develop guys, and like that's where I think Brent saw the deficiency. Right, you can see on the offense, like. You can see strides being made from guys like look at Jamal Haynes, like or the offensive linemen like they were playing, or even like guys like Dylan Leonard or, or Luke Benson or Malik Rutherford, right? All you can see those guys start to turn into something. Player development's a huge piece of all of this, and I think Brent felt like it wasn't he wasn't getting what he needed there between that and recruiting. So he decided that he's going to shuffle the deck and find some new people and that's what he's doing. And, you know, they, no one wants to, there's literally no one on earth. I think that wants to win more than Brent key at Georgia tech. Like there's no Georgia tech fan. That's no matter how diehard they are, that wants to win more than Brent. And so um, he's, like I said, he'd fire his mom. He took exception with that with me one time. He like texted me and said, no, he's like, no, my mom would fire my ass first. Um, because you're not far off like you're in the ballpark Kelly with that like I mean you know like but it is what it is he really liked and respected Andrew Thacker but like the results weren't there and so you know he had to make a decision and he made the call to to shuffle the deck and uh, he hit a home run with Buster hopefully he does it with his defensive uh, coordinator who hasn't been announced yet and then you know, the other three positions they're hiring on defense. And if he does that, I think they're going to bring in some cool analysts. And I think they've got, you know, really interesting staff because they, they're going to play tough schedules. So they got to be able to punch above their weight with all that. Yeah. Well, I'll be, uh, I'll be hitting F5 on my browser for the next uh, few days, waiting on that story to drop. Yeah, we'll refresh. Hopefully. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I've been sitting here waiting and, I don't know what's uh, – I think um, my guess is that they want to get the last hire, the final spot done and then have everything kind of come out then. That would be my guess with it. But, yeah, it's, I hate sitting on – it's like sitting on a grenade with the, with the pen pulled and, like, the thing flipped up. Like, you're, you're just waiting for something to explode. So I'm hoping to not get football scooped on that one. But um, – <laughs> As, as someone put it to me, um, 
but it's very funny because like people have weird expectations like they're like we demand x y or z on the board or like why are you not and sometimes i have to pull back because i'm playing a long game and all of this like i'm building trust or, or belief from coaches whether it was paul johnson or brian gregory or josh pastor paul hewitt liked me like even though i was only there for like two of his years like it takes a lot to to get these people to trust you and um i would rather be like two minutes late to that story and be able to break like 15 other ones throughout the year than to get that one bit of scoop and um you know, and so that's the, the relationship and that's the crux of what this is about, man. Like the, you know, why Pete Thamel or those guys break those stories is a lot of them come to relationships with, with the, a lot of the Nashville guys. I think it's like the agents and stuff. They're very tight with the Jimmy Sext- Sextons of the world or whoever. Um, and then other times it's something else. Like, so it's a, uh, the, the name of our game, if you want to be someone that actually breaks news, is relationships. And um, that's what I've tried to cultivate in my own way. And um, it's uh, it's been the cornerstone of my business. And sometimes I'm addicted to people and people get mad about it. But <laughs> you get asked the same question 28 times in a row. Like, sometimes it wears on you a little bit. And some people don't have a good read for their own personalities or how they interact or whatever. And generally I'm pretty accommodating compared to a lot of other people I know in the business. So I try to do the best I can. And, you know, if maybe it costs me a few, few people's business sometimes, but at the end of the day, um, my sanity is more important than probably their 10 bucks a year or whatever, 10 bucks a year. Well, we, we respect it. Um, I appreciate it, man. Switching gears a little bit, uh, going to go into a little bit of story story time here. Um, I'd like for you to think about a recruiting story that you're comfortable sharing. Okay. And what is what is your most memorable recruiting story? And this could be this could be somebody that recruited or actually committed to Georgia Tech, or somebody yes, that ended up it. not going. Yeah, Stephon Tuitt <laughs> situation. I mean, that's that's the first one that comes to my mind. The other one is Nick Marshall. Um, oh yeah. Oh, Nick Marshall. So, I wonder if I've told this story or not. I've I've definitely wrote about it. So, my oldest child, Logan, he was adopted, and um, my ex-wife and I had to go to Las Vegas. And uh, when we went there, it was during the time of um, God, what did they call it when they would shut the government down? Um, oh. Shutdown or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was where they were doing like two days a week or whatever. Like yeah. they were doing like furlough days or something. And like, um, so we ended up being out there for like a really long time after he was born. During all that time, Nick Marshall committed to Georgia Tech. Nick Marshall lived in so Rochelle County or whatever it's called, or Rochelle or whatever, the, some like crap hole town in, in like South Georgia, and um. He didn't have a phone. Mom didn't have a phone. If you wanted to talk to them, you had to talk to the coach. And, you know, I had a source on the tech staff at the time who may or may not have been the person that was the one that got him to commit and was like really pushing me because it was a big story. It was a dual threat quarterback. It was a kind of a big signing. And what the person kept telling me was that he felt like there was something going on that there were people trying to push the kid to go to Georgia, to flip to Georgia. 
before he announced it publicly and um tried and tried and tried but i'm in las vegas like normally i would just hopped in the car drove down there and been pissed about it but went and found the kid and tracked him down got the story put it out so ends up he like maybe like a few days before i came back or right when i got back with a newborn baby mind you he commits to georgia publicly and i read a story saying he flipped to from georgia tech to georgia and it like angered the hell out of like every uga fan in the country and then they now hate him because he left and went to Auburn. He had the tip pass too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so it's very funny. Like it's sort of like, it was like sort of karmic justice. The other one was obviously the Stefan Tua thing, which was so crazy where he like flipped for like three hours to Georgia tech from Notre Dame as their first five-star commit. And then in the rivals era and, uh, then Mama put her foot down, and Chuck Martin, who's a coach at Miami of Ohio, got her to to lay down the law and flip back to Brian Kelly in Notre Dame. It broke a lot of heart on the Bitticott porch. That was tough, man. Like they they did everything humanly possible, and that kid wanted to come here. He had teammates coming here. He had he was real tight with like a lot of the players at the time, like at Tech he was like in tears, like talking to me about what was going on. Like it was just, that one was brutal. Cause I really knew him. Like I had spent a lot of time with him. I'd gone out and watched them play. I remember I watched him block a punt, which I thought was pretty incredible. Like basically just like an edge, like a edge guy would like just speed rushing and blocking a punt. Um, he was such a freaky dude. And, like, if you just put him in the middle of some of those, like, really shitty Georgia Tech defenses, they would have had <laughs> a chance to be, like, decent. Like, yeah. he's yeah. Like a difference maker. But it worked out, you know, the way it should have. Stif- I think he's had a good NFL career. I don't know if he's yeah, he, he did fine. But, uh, yeah, that, that one hurt. Another one that comes to mind for me, I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but recently the player that went to Memphis that said he, he had a dream. Oh, his grandpa had a <laughs> Was that Tevin Carter? Yes, yeah. yes. Quarterback. Now he's transferring out. Tevin Carter hits my DMs once a week asking me to retweet that he's in the portal. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. There's a lot of, like, just bad. And I'm like, dude, I'm not your agent. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I like stopped responding to him, and he got the hint, I guess. But, like, he was doing that to me, Russell, like a bunch of other people we know. And it's like dude, I'm not pimping for you. Like we don't have that relationship. Like maybe if I was like friends with your family or something, I might do it one time, but like you like made a terrible choice, like to go like to this program, like a weird decision. And it's had like a ripple effect in your life. Uh, This portal's a Um, mess. It is. It works out for some kids and for a lot of others, it does not work out at all. Yeah. Like in those court in that quarterback class, you got what MJ Morris, him AJ Swan. Swan it worked out for. Um, where did Swan go? Is he at Notre Dame or Wake or something now? Um, where did AJ Swan go? Actually, I don't. I don't know where he went. He was at uh, Vandy right before. He was at Vandy. He's at uh, where did AJ Swan go? LSU. That's right. Oh. 
loved AJ Swan and like thought he was great. And that was just a total situation where the offensive coordinator Dave Patton out at the time completely bungled his recruitment by not offering him. Dude, he early. bungled. He bungled meeting me at the uh, Memphis airport when I tried to shake his hand. Oh, that's funny. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't like uh, friendly to you. No, no, it was caught off guard. He had just gone to Old Dominion, I think. He was wearing his, you know, U shirt. But, you know, watching enough stuff, I, I knew who he was, and I walked by him, and, I, you know, I called him, hey, Dave. He's like, hey, hey, uh, you know, I'm a Georgia Tech fan. I saw you, uh, you know. <laughs> but I said, you know, good luck. I wasn't nasty or anything. You know? No, 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 no. I'm sure that was, like, the last thing on earth he wanted to hear in that moment, though. Like, yeah. It's like. <laughs> After what happened and him getting fired and all that, I really liked Dave. He was a cool dude. We used to nice. talk about like lobster and seafood in New England, and he was like a New England kid, and that's where my family's from. Like, we had a great time. I spent an entire uh, one of Zach Pyron's high school games, and I spent the entire game talking to him on the sideline. He just like came over to me and we just talked the whole game like about football. That was where I got a little scared because he was like telling me what his play calls would be in situations. I was like, I would not call that. It's like, <laughs> oh, first and goal of the three, fade. I'm like, mm, we're in high school, brother. Like, and have you seen his wide receivers? Like, yeah, probably not. Great dude. Like, uh, I know the Pirates really liked him. Um, just was not. Like, I think he was in over skis a little bit. It'll be interesting to see. He just got a job. Um, Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah. That seemed like a good spot for him. Like, maybe he'd do okay in action. Uh, I think he was just in over his head against the level of DCs that um, they had at this level. Paul Johnson used to say something funny watching their games with early on with Pat Nody. He, he felt like it was offense of the week. Like, they would just come up with, like, some scheme that they saw work against the team they were playing. Like, that's what they would do. And they, like, rarely did, like, what I would watch them practice all week. Like, now it's kind of, like, fascinating to me. Like, they just were on, like, a set of plays, like, with James Graham or whoever was playing quarterback. And, like, it's just like, what, what, are, yeah. what are you doing? No identity. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, there's no bread and butter play, right? Like, there's, like, three bread and butter plays. Like, Georgia Tech runs with, like, Haynes and, and Buster. And, like, you're like, okay. Like, this is their identity, especially in the red zone. Like, they have an identity of what they want to do. You just didn't see a lot of that. And I know said who you guys had on as my boy, like, yeah. was very, 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 very much – Pro Pat Node. I think it's because Sed likes Madden and it reminded him of Madden the way like called <laughs> Madden like, suggested plays. Yeah, it was like suggest like ask the coach or like ask Coach Corso or whatever it was in the old uh, NCAA yeah. football game. That's what it seemed like to me. Like I had one coach tell me that it was like it looked like he just took a play sheet and was like doing any meeny miny mo like with his calls. Like nothing set anything up. Like there was no. You know, like you might like, you know, Paul would run a dive one time and then like it was setting up some other play, you know, none of that stuff. Like it was like, this is the play we're running. Okay, that didn't work. We're at third and eight uh, curls, you know, like or whatever. Like, and Four verbs. Yeah, and guys like they can't do that very well. Like in a quarterback who doesn't throw the ball well underneath, like. Uh, this is a, a surreal time. And then watching Jeff Sims like play quarterback and watching James Graham play quarterback and they tried to make him like a drop back passer basically. Like it was just unbelievable. 
you know, not wanting Jeff to, Sims to run because they're worried about him getting hurt. Like, is Jeff Sims landed anywhere? I don't think so, right? Like, he's still in the pool. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I doubt it. No. Somebody's going to get desperate and like need a quarterback and take like a flyer on him. But he's poor kid. Like he needs to probably play like receiver or something. Like yeah, he just doesn't have enough of the killer instinct. I guess uh, this might be the alcohol talking at this point. But like, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're a hundred percent on the same page with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I love Jeff as a person too. By the way, Jeff Sims sure, is awesome. Sure, yeah. sure. But we're not, you know, we say it when we just a personality of baseball player. Not here to like, insult an 18 year old kid, you know. Like it's yeah, he's like a left fielder on like a baseball team. That's like his persona. It's not a quarterback. Yeah. Well, Kelly, we're going to slowly well, get to the end of the podcast, but, you know, sure, these, sure. these fun, fun questions. We want to get your hot takes, you know, not necessarily recruiting personnel or, or coaches or anything, but we usually do this, which is what's the coolest stadium you've ever been to, like an atmosphere, and then what's the shittiest? The coolest might have been that Rose Bowl. Uh, no, night game at LSU. Um, I was at LSU. They beat Georgia. It turned into a night game. Like the game kind of dragged on into a night game. Packed house. They beat Georgia on like basically the last play of the game, and you could feel the earth shaking like on the field, like um, that's the coolest one. The shittiest one is the independence bowl. Um, the Georgia Tech uh, Air that's, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty freaking hard to be worried. That was like the most just bummed out people were. I just remember Paul Johnson, like, after the game, like bitching about Corey Corey Earls caught a game, touchdown against Duke, it was like his only touchdown of his career or whatever. He's like, he's like nine times out of ten that kid drops the ball or whatever. Like he said something like that. Like he was just pissed about the game. And then DJ McCann draw, dropping those punts, like and just being in Shreveport, Louisiana, and it was miserable. I remember I stayed in Dallas because I refused to stay in Shreveport. I was like, I'm not staying there. I'm not staying in one of these crap towns in Louisiana. I drove three hours from Dallas over. Oh, That's the worst. Yeah, it seemed like that was kind of the the vibes that we were getting when we thought we were going to go to the Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, uh, I think it would have been a clunker if they had played in the Birmingham Bowl, man. Like, yeah, maybe not because the Troy coach ended up leaving John, uh, Summerall, but like. I had I had that had like real bad mojo to me. I liked that they were playing UCF because I felt like they would be up for that. Yeah, yeah, it was way better. Yeah, they got up for it. Too. Both teams were up for that game, so it made it an entertaining game. Yeah. I guess similar vein. We always do. What's your favorite Georgia Tech game you've ever covered? This is this is our favorite. We've got uh, Chase at the fifty yard line with Paul. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was the, the 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 Florida, Florida State, State game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, like that's the one that immediately comes to mind. Though the improbability of the Miami game this past year supersedes that. Mm-hmm. Um, where I turned in the press box and said to Chad Bishop, who sat next to me, that I looked at him and I was like, why are they running the ball? Like we were looking at the clock, and I'm, I'm just doing a little quick math in my head as I'm writing my Georgia Tech loses story. 
I was like, what are they doing? Are they trying to get this kid over 100 yards? And I was like, boom, he fumbles. I was like, oh, my God. Like, as soon as he fumbled, I was like, I turned over. I was there to win the game. And, like, everyone, the Miami press was, like, on the other side. Of this, it was kind of like a split press box. They were on the other side of the this, like, stairwell. And they're just cursing and, like, pissed because it's, you know, 1130 at night or whatever. And, like, everyone's written their story. And now <laughs> – they're in a complete panic. And then I saw the coverage and I saw Larry get open and I was like, I was like, Oh my God, he, they're going to do it. Laughing. Like I just laughed out loud. Like well, the entire sequence was divine. Cause you had like the fumble and then even like Malik's catch was tipped. Like yep. caught the ball. And I'm like, like this is going to happen. Like, I don't know what the hell's happening right now. It was like the game they lost down there where the ball bounced off the dude's helmet um, and he caught it like on his back on the ground to win the game. That was like 15 maybe or something, Paul, 16, 15, whatever it was. Like, Yeah, I had never seen Tech win there either. I had missed the game in 19 because my dad died. I was down there and had to fly um, back to Boston. And so I had never seen Tech win a game there. The only time I'd seen Tech win a game in that stadium was the Orange Bowl and – 1415. Um, oh, yeah. The, yeah. This Day's game. Um, this, this one was Hard Rock, right? No, it was a, yeah. Hard Rock. Yeah, we were at the Hard Rock, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, it yeah. wasn't in the old Orange Bowl, no. Um, yeah, that one, I mean, I think the Miami game, just for, like, it's literally like the, you know, it made like the Sports Center top 10 or whatever for the year. <laughs> like, uh, it's like one of the craziest plays of the year or whatever. I mean, I think that Miami one was – I mean, I think the Florida State one was pretty pretty rad too. And then uh, being on the – I wasn't on the field for the Florida State game because we thought it was going to go to overtime or whatever. So, like, we're all still sitting in the box. And, um, you yeah, know, like the two, Georgia, two last two wins of Georgia stand out in my mind too because um, I was standing on the field when all that stuff happened, like the DJ's pick and all that. Like, I was on the field for that. Um, or like when they squib kicked and I was like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> so those stand out and, and, you know, obviously tech's been on the bad end of a few of those too. Um, so, but yeah, yeah. That, that's probably the Miami game, I guess, cause just recency bias. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was, I was at my in-laws house and everybody was already asleep, but me, I mean, I'm, you know, they're not Georgia tech fans, so I was just watching it by myself and, I remember I, we, I saw, you know, they got a first down and it was a minute left and we had no timeouts. So I'm like, I'm going to bed. Oh, no, I'm texting <laughs> and, you. Yeah. Like, and then I, I'm going downstairs. My wife's like, you know, about to fall asleep. She's like, did you win? I'm like, no, we lost. And um, then I'm literally like falling asleep, sitting on the bed and, and my phone just, just vibrating like off the hook. And then so finally she's like, can you, what's going on with your phone? And I, so I finally looked at it. And uh, I was like, oh, gosh, I need to I need to turn this back on. So I turned YouTube TV on my phone and I, I caught the last like second of it. And I was like, just I was like, how do we even get this ball? Like, I was so confused. <laughs> I, I saw I saw the um, I saw the fumble and I was like, oh, that, I mean, his knee was clearly down. They're going to they're going to overturn that. And they didn't. And I was just like, wow, it was just unbelievable. But I mean, that game, I mean, w- without that, I mean, we don't even make a bowl game. And then the season's right. just. 
totally yeah, different. Because I think that would have maybe changed like how they played in the next game or something. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that's hard to gauge, but yes, like it was serendipitous. So um yeah, definitely was, definitely uh, a good one. Right, we remember in college football for a while. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a national game. That's like when people that aren't even Georgia Tech fans are texting me, you know, great win. Those are those are always the best ones. Yeah, and I, I did like uh Haynes King, you know, at the he, he's a pretty good he's kind of a little dorky on the uh ACC like recap interviews, but like I like the fact that he I mean, he seems bought in with tech and, and he loves key, it seems like. So it was it's kind of cool to see him talk about being a tech man every time he gets interviewed. <laughs> he's got that like Texas draw and yeah. um, he's a good dude. For sure. Well, Kelly, um, we really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, really enjoyed talking with you about the jackets and your, your journey with rivals, um, taking time out of your, your busy schedule. Yeah. And uh, we'll be, we'll be, Anxiously awaiting the uh, the DC news here. Yeah. Yeah. Go wait for the white smoke from the Waffle House house. Or can I not say that anymore? Because it's Jeff. <laughs> Jeff's gone. What is uh, a yeah. what's key like? Is it the black smoke? Is it black smoke? Which I forget which one's the one that means they pick the cold. White. I can't. Remember. I don't remember. But whatever. The smoke from the Waffle House. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because for a while, like, even I stopped going to Waffle House because I got sick of hearing about it. Like, and my kids. <laughs> And I just was like, I can't go like to Waffle House because it just reminds me of Jeff and yeah. work. Like it's tainted. Now it's it's untainted now, so that's nice. Like Brent's when he not first got hired, we went to Waffle House just to because of him half the time. I felt like I, you know, I always had a joke with Paul for years before. Jeff was ever hired, Paul Johnson, that he needed to clip a Waffle House menu to his belt and have it like a play card because like these guys were so obsessed that he didn't have a playbook or whatever like the broadcast guys i said it would be the greatest like marketing gimmick ever to just have like a waffle house menu and just have you look at it periodically whatever the camera like pans over to you like or you know you're on camera you pull up like and it's like the legit waffle house menu because you know they use like the waffle house plane and stuff like the, they're tech people so like it's yeah. okay, like, do, but it, God, that would I, that was like one of my like biggest ambitions when Paul was still a coach was to get him to do it for a game, like wear the Waffle House menu, like have it like a playbook. Too serious of a guy. Yeah. No, he was not. <laughs> now it means you probably could probably get him to do it, but like he would, uh, he was too serious at the time about it. Um, unfortunately, it's a it's a shame. Maybe in that like Syracuse game when they beat the tar out of them, he might have might have been able to get him to do it in the second half of that game. Even Jalen got into that game, Chase. <laughs> Everyone played like it, Paul Johnson that was the worst game plan he'd ever seen against his team. I think they went to like an odd front or something and like I forget what they did. It was so bad. They were just like standing like five yards past the line of scrimmage, like like a like linebacker wall or something and like that was a defensive coordinator, head coach Scott Schaefer, that did that. Oh, but Kelly, dude, I really, really appreciate it, man. Like, yeah, man. you've been super accommodating. It's been number one. You know, you you tell us all the what's going on on the ground. You know, in our day to day lives, when I'm in work and I'm like, this meeting's really boring. <laughs> Let me get jackets <laughs> online. But uh, no, man, this has been a really cool experience for us. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys, and um, 
I was joking about that. I have like friends who's uh, or subscribers of a couple of my personal life that are like really wealthy guys, like in charge of like serious money and stuff. And their wives are always like coming up to me, like your husband, you're like is like the only thing my husband pays attention to that's not related <laughs> is your website. They're always like super inquisitive about it. And it's yeah. always very funny to me. I appreciate it. I spend uh, more time than I'm willing to admit on that site. Yeah. I had people quit because they spend too much time on the site. It's the weirdest thing to me. It's like a compliment and angers me at the same time. Yeah, there goes some revenue right there. You're like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, it's like a self-control issue. Like, no, yeah. It's not my yeah, pull it together. <laughs>